Welcome to another episode of Nourishing Africa podcast. As usual, we have brought you another amazing, insightful podcast episode in commemoration of the International World Youth Day, which holds every year on August 13. We are bringing you a special edition of our podcast where we highlight the groundbreaking work that African youth are doing in the agribusiness space and how the work they do is changing the narrative of African agriculture. The theme of this year's International Youth Day is Transforming Food Systems, Youth Innovation for Human and Planetary Health, with the aim of highlighting that the success of such a global effort will not be achieved without the meaningful participation of young people. We honestly cannot agree more with the theme of this year's event, as we have seen and continue to see within our Nourishing Africa community the high growth impact that youth bring to the agricultural sector. This is why today we have brought two guests, Evelyn Wangari and Uzoma Ayo, both of whom are transforming the agricultural sector with such youthful energy and passion. Welcome to the podcast, Evelyn and Uzoma. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm glad to be here too. Yeah, we're glad to have you both here too. Kindly introduce yourselves and let us know a bit about your work in the agricultural sector. My name is Evelyn Wangari Kuria. Um, I live in Nairobi, Kenya, and I am a farmer. Basically, I'm an urban farmer, which means I farm in the city. I farm strawberries, rabbits. I also farm uh, vegetables and mushrooms. So the idea is uh, to share this knowledge that I'm experiencing and I'm learning every day with other people to try and inspire them to get into farming and that's why we also have a youtube channel called farmer on fire to just help spread and get people excited about agriculture for myself i have a chemical stage industry as well where i produce and try to own part of the value chain by making sure that i'm processing whatever i'm producing that i'm able to also market what i'm producing digitally the idea is not really be in production, but just to be in training and in education in the agricultural space. I also help other farmers in my country and beyond to visit other farmers and to learn from them in an exchange and a networking program, which is usually organized by myself and my partners on a monthly occasion where we go and uh, visit specific farmers and learn for, with them for the entire day. So basically that's Farmer on Fire in a nutshell. Please check us out on YouTube for more on that. Wow, that's that's awesome. Uh, you definitely have to find some of your videos. And when people ask me, how do I get started in urban farming, I'll send them your way. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Uzama. I'm the co-founder and CTO of Relief. Uh, at Relief, our mission is to make it easy for crops to move from farm to factory and eventually consumer through the very fragmented and smallholder-driven African food system. So we use software to buy, identify, bank, and finance smallholder farmers. And then we have our own proprietary processing technology that allows us to process any quality crop that we receive from smallholders so there's no post-harvest loss and turn it into factory grade quality. Right now we're just working in the palm nut industry, so palm nut, palm kernel, palm kernel oil in eastern Nigeria. We have about 75 staffs and we move a couple hundred tons a week and uh, we just really want to prove that this model of decentralized smallholder driven agriculture is scalable, it can be profitable, uh, and it's the only way forward if we're really going to feed ourselves and, and the world. 
Wow, you both are really doing amazing work in the agriculture space. Thank you so much, Evelyn and Uzo, for the exquisite introduction. Um, now that you both have particularly highlighted the work you do in the agri-food space, I can imagine that being a young person trying to break into the African agricultural sector must have been pretty difficult. I'm really psyched and interested to know how the journey has been so far. Uzo, let's start with you. Yeah, I think it's lots of ups and downs. I think anybody who who's uh, interested in breaking into agri should be doing it for the right reasons because it is like a, a journey. It's been about five years for us, but it's despite all of that, it's been very fulfilling. You know, it's one thing to work in a sector where maybe your impact is more indirect, but it, it's incredibly direct, right? So we had farmers who they used to be cracking palm nuts, rocks, they'll be on the floor. Now that same farmer has increased their income by two, three X. They're now able to finance them with a smartphone. Even the potential for job creation, uh, you have people when they join you, they're maybe not that literate. By the time they leave, they can use Google Sheets, they're buying a bike. Um, so I think despite all the ups and downs, it's really exciting to see how direct your impact is. And then also just be dealing with physical product. You, you can see the oil we produce, the nuts we produce, the kernel we produce. And that's very exciting and very fulfilling. I wouldn't say it's a sector for the faint of heart, but I will say that it's a sector when you go home at the end of the day, you feel like, wow, I actually did something meaningful for other people in the world. So yeah. Thank you, Uzo, for that. I definitely agree with you that the agricultural sector is not for the faint of heart. And of course, people should get into it doing it for the right reasons. Evelyn, over to you. How has your journey been? Um, the journey has been exciting for me. I got into agriculture by accident, by the way. So I followed the root map of every child in our generation where we were the first people, I think, to start going to university. Our parents could actually afford it compared to their generation. You have this roadmap of you study hard, um, go to university, and then after that, you get the job. And I did get the job, a very nice senior management position. I was a project manager in a construction company for seven years, and I was doing great and everything was okay. But then that industry flopped in my country and I ended up not having a job or not so that's when now I started figuring out what do I do I had loans so I couldn't even start any enterprise and then that's when I started thinking what do I have do I even have the land which is a lot of a big question that a lot of youth and young people think about I'd like to farm but I don't even own any land or as my parents' land is just too dramatic for me to start even having that conversation. But then, where I live, there are a few empty lots that are there. So I just would approach the homeowners and ask them, Hi, my name is Wangari, I live over there. And I will not make any permanent structures. And I would like to use your land to grow vegetables for my family, for my own income, and also for the neighborhood, uh, for the people in the neighborhood. And they would not have any objection because in exchange, I would give them value of giving them updates, making sure that their land is not scrubbed, making sure that I update them on infrastructure coming up, electricity and road network, so that they know that they have a keeper that they don't pay who is in that part of their property. So that's how I kind of started. And then I started the YouTube channel because I felt left out. My friends were living and they were progressing in their careers. And I felt like 
how do I teach whatever I'm doing to make it cool? So that's when I started doing the YouTube videos. And now it's exciting and everyone is inspired. So I'm happy that I wasn't as clear in my goal when I was starting off because for me it was survival. But yeah, this is where we are at. And as we must say, Zuma says, it's a very fulfilling thing to do, to see someone else, you know, get that inspiration from what you're doing, growing your own and just spreading that love and joy that comes to the family. Thank you so much, even for that exciting story of your journey. I mean, for someone who uh, entered agriculture accidentally, you're really doing a lot of work in the agri space and you sound really excited. I mean, your excitement about what you do has definitely rubbed off on me. And I'm particularly intrigued by your work, Evelyn, especially with your dedication to changing the narratives about African agriculture. I mean, you earlier shared a bit of your journey on how the adventure began, but I mean, you could tell us more and especially in relation to the early impact that you're beginning to see with your work. Um, the idea is that I was demystifying agriculture. We grew up helping our parents work in the farm, and so we hated it because we found it to be too laborious, too manual labor, too much hard work that we felt that's too much, especially for someone like me who has a master's degree. But then when you start showing people that even if you have this kind of, it's not to beneath me to even get into touching the soil, I'm still finding joy and fulfillment in that. So the idea mostly for us is inspiring other people and we get a lot of responses where we get comments of people who would like to come for farm visits. We have demo farms all over the city. Every farmer that I interact with, and start a bunch of things with them. I always ask them if they could be able to be an open demo farm for other people in the city to come and visit. Because going to the rural areas to see farms is easy, but finding that opportunity in the urban areas is very hard. So, so by opening up this opportunity so that it's a contagious kind of impact that you're looking for where you can inspire others. And I feel like inspiration is the biggest thing or it's the starter, it's getting of one foot in and then everything else can fall into place learning about knowledge figuring out the abcd of actually doing something i feel like inspiring someone just getting that part in them of things it is possible and for us i have a book called how to start farming because most people think would love to they're passionate about farming they would like to eat healthier they would like to control where their food comes from they probably even have land lying idle but they're actually stuck in terms of their mental capacity of wondering where exactly do I start? Like, what, what do we have a checklist on how to start even a farm? And the book just, just gives them the courage of feeling that at least I have something, I have some analytic on how to go about this thing and how to figure out and how to network with other people so that I can learn in the process. Because as you know, a lot of young people suffer from loneliness in entrepreneurship. But then what we try to do is bring a type of community and a type of mentorship where you are not feeling as alone and you're learning from each other. And, and those are some of the things that we are seeing is that the community is growing. That if we send out some type of communication in our social media platforms, we are getting actual responses of people that are showing real engagement. It's not just a fun kind of thing 
of, of now we are in the height of celebrity and, and that kind of thing. We are seeing actual engagement of people saying that I have 10 chickens that have started rearing and, and this has been my experience or this has been my heartbreak. But the fact that they went through it, part of their journey. For us, we are very excited about that and this is why we can keep talking here every day. And yes, so for me actually how I started out is that as I said, I was with friends and I had a loan. So I didn't even have any money. So I'm a kind negative and I only have money maybe for seeds to start growing and watering the plants myself in that lot that I was given because I remember my mom had a kitchen garden. So why can I not have a kitchen garden? People spend a lot of money on just vegetables, basic vegetables, tomatoes, onions, and uh, some leafy vegetables that you use every day. If you accumulate that to a year, you will see that you have spent more than than $300-$400 on just vegetables. So for us, it's just about breaking down and saying, how much would I actually save if I just even have a pack outside my balcony and seeing the possibility of scaling that up. Because once you learn how to grow a tomato, it's the same. You just need to have a few skills to start and then you can go perfecting it. But once you have that courage of, I can grow a tomato, and, and then you can scale it up and see that into profitability and, and just taking it to the volume. <laughs> I don't know if I've answered your question, but yeah, that, that's where our passion is at. Thank you, Evelyn. You definitely answered my question. I'm so happy with the fact that you're so invested in inspiring other people to come in into the agricultural sector because honestly we do need inspiration out there especially the african youth who has a particular perception of african agriculture so with work that you do a lot of other people begin to see the sector in a different perspective and of course they are inspired and they're interested and would also want to venture into the agri space and trust me we do need a lot more people coming into the agricultural sector in africa thank you evelyn so much for that. Uzo, over to you. Now, you're leveraging um, technology to build automated supply chains that integrate farmers, food processors, and communities. Now, can you highlight some of the key impacts that you have recorded across board? Yeah, I want to echo that previous sentiment about more talented young people in agriculture because actually, to your point, all of us are, I'm a mechanical engineer, Isaiah is kind of a computer scientist, so I guess we're all farmers, that's what we put as occupation, but we studied as I guess, engineers. Um, and so, yeah, no one should think it's beneath them. And so we took that training and kind of brought it to, to our work now. So in terms of key impact, like I said, we employ now over 75 people. That's doubled in the last 12 months, even through COVID, which was did have an impact on us. We now work with almost 3,000 farmers. We finance over 100. We have some really cool stories where in the rainy season, where people used to struggle to crack their palm not then they used to like try and go be like okada drivers or do more odd jobs because we're financing people they've found that wow i can more consistently make money just working with relief throughout the whole year so people have been able to stop doing jobs that may be kind of dangerous for them and have less variability a couple of examples uh, one of our farmers idara rebecca she used to do maybe turnover of 100k a month and she was one of the more productive farmers now idara can turn over half a million naira in one week like you just you'll be amazed when you inject capital into the right areas, especially areas where people have forgotten how much more people can produce. We've probably purchased now 70, 80 million naira worth of crops from all our farmers throughout the last 18 months. 
And then uh, like on the income increase, for those that are getting financed, they're making maybe two to four X more money a quarter from some of the work we're doing. Uh, and they're making more money doing less work and having a higher quality of life. So people no longer doing as much manual labor. The focus is more on, for in our industry at least, they focus more on the red oil production, far more lucrative, while we focus on the palm nuts that they produce, which is exciting. We've banked about now, we just started our banking process, but about 60 folks who have previously bank because they didn't have like utility bill and you know, the bank doesn't want to come out to them and we've actually financed now we just started a pilot but financed 10 smartphones for our farmers so bringing them into the into the 21st century in terms of just digital technology and yeah all the on the customer side all the factories we work with able to complete 100% of their orders on time. So the, the, I think those are some of the key things. In the communities we work, we're able to share some of our power resources, some of our water resources. Also just for people to take pride in like, some of these communities, anytime people come around, it's just election time. That's the only time anyone shows interest in them. And so to have relief is here, you know, people have relief shows, people are excited. We're meeting with people daily, weekly, doing monthly meetings. People are like, oh yeah, we actually have value now, we matter. It's very exciting. Something we also do within we call our, our team members, our employee members, our staff citizens, because we believe that within our company, just like functioning democracies, people have rights and responsibilities. And so we're trying to get rid of this idea that if it's foreign, it's better. And if it's local, it's it's no good. And so we always try to tell everybody, you know, everything is here by somebody with, with one, one head. Nobody has two heads. So we really try to cultivate that, hey, Africa first, we can do it. We can, we can build it here. We can develop it here. We don't need to be reliant so much on the West. You know, we, we can, we can feed ourselves and our communities and we can take Africa to the world versus always relying on other people. So those are some of the key things. I think there's certainly financial benefits, but something that I think that we've highlighted on is the narrative, like people's mindsets need to change. And once people's mindsets can change, then you can fundamentally do something different. One thing I want to add on there is um, one thing we love to hear is how can I come in? Because once people see something is working, then they tell other people. And we're trying to shift. We have like a very, even across, I can only speak for Nigeria. We have a very, we call it like a margin mindset, not a volume mindset, which means that I'm not going to get a lot of deals or opportunities. So on this one deal, I need to charge you a ridiculous price because I don't know when the next one comes. But if you can switch people to have a volume mindset, then they say, okay, there's consistency here. Let me produce, produce more and actually make the unit economics work for agriculture. You know, we spend about 56% of our disposable income in Nigeria on food. Uh, so if you want to give people more money so they can actually attend to education, healthcare, you have to drop the cost of the, the mentality from margin mindset to volume mindset. That's just something I wanted to add. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Uzoma. And of course, that is something we definitely agree with, having to change the mindset of a lot of people out there. Now, thank you for bringing that up because really this leads us to the next question on um, the idea of mindset. So you see, many young entrepreneurs are quick to point out that the lack of financing as their biggest challenge to starting out or even scaling their agribusinesses. So how have you managed the aspect of financing for your business? And what innovative financing mechanisms have you explored and what has been the result so far? Evelyn, let's start with you. Yes, I'm loving this because as you see, Uzama is, is really thinking about the infrastructure needed 
to take farming to the next level in terms of seeing farming as a business. And it's really important to not overlook that. As much as we are trying to create excitement, we cannot factor in the realities of farming and, and making it sustainable so the young people can be attracted to that and can stay on. So on financing, that's a real challenge and it's true because young people, are, they find a lot of challenges. They, they don't have maybe any assets for them to go and get a loan. Uh, commercial banks is a low risk or, you know, they, when they evaluate and look at farming, they see it as a high risk industry, or at least in my country, they do. So it, it's a bit challenging to get access to, farm, uh, to do a farming project and then and to be young at it and then try to get financing is also make it even more steeper. But what I would say for me is that I started small and that's why for us, it's just getting you started, giving you the, the time to gain your legs and gain your wings. And then with that confidence, then you can say that this is the tested theory, this is the things I've learned, and this is how I want to scale it up. And with that idea, when you at least have something tangible at hand, then you can be able to go and look for partners and you can be able to go and look for organizations like for Uzoma, you know, people who are already can be able to leverage and get you to the next level of there is also a lot of currently we are seeing a lot of NGOs giving young people, especially the youth, opportunities to get access to funding. I know Nourishing Africa is part of that as well. A lot, a lot of opportunities and the biggest challenge to that is that people don't apply. You are online, you can see the adverts, you can see the deadline, but yet there is a challenge of just the, doing the first step, which is application. And if you have not applied, you reach 100% of those opportunities. So my second, other than starting small and starting where you are, my next advice would be apply. Apply, apply, apply as many opportunities. You never know, you will get that grant and you'll be able to get to the position that you're going. And then for number three is, is look for ways to partner. So sometimes you find that you can find a market that is looking for a to contract farmers. So you can find that someone has an order to export a certain crop maybe which is there or it's very specific types of growth. And if you can put in the work that needed to get that product to that standard, you can be able to partner with such an exporter and be able to get the funding needed to, to have the input. And so that's also one of the ways. But all the suggestions are mainly in the private sector. I would also add that the government come in and just try and support this in terms of subsidies, making agriculture, making farming food, making seeds, making machinery affordable and even more subsidized, especially for young people, finding a way on how they can make um it can be included as well. And and yes, so financing is a big one, but then we also can let that be a stumbling block. We can we can also start from where we are and, and scale it up. That would be my opinion. Thank you so much, Evelyn, for that. I mean, I like how you ended that saying that financing is a big one, but it should definitely not be a stumbling block. So just to summarize what you have said, the four tips that you have given our listeners today on financing, that is, the first is to start small. I mean, you have to start something that you can show to other people as proof that what you're doing is working. And then the next is, of course, apply, apply, apply. I mean, you cannot get these opportunities without at first applying. So 
looking over these opportunities that you're seeing online or maybe you've heard of them through word of mouth and not applying for them will definitely not lead your business anywhere. So youth struggling in agriculture should definitely be open to applying for as many opportunities as they can lay their hands on. And then the next one you mentioned was partnership. So I personally agree with you on that because I mean, partnerships has a long way of growing different businesses. Even most established businesses still go on as far as looking for other ways they can partner with other people. Because apart from the fact that you can't do everything alone, there is always something, there's always value that you can get from others and you also give to others. And then finally, the biggest one that we need to call on all our government to actually try to um, subsidize a lot of this farming material so that youth can have easy access at subsidized rates and of course, reducing the cost of production for them. Thank you so much, Evelyn, for this, your point, Uzoma. Over to you. Yeah, I love the framework that Evelyn laid out. I think I'll use the same one, but just add a little bit, like my own context. So on the first one, yes, definitely start small. You need to show proof. Even if it's within like your own, and it's easiest when you do it within your own community or locus and around people who trust you. So for us personally, when we started, but we were trading commodities because we just wanted to learn about challenges in the value chain. And so when I can tell somebody, hey, I've traded 10, 20 tons of soya bean, I understand and these are the challenges, this is how I'll break it down. And then you go to somebody who's known you for a long time and there's already some proof. He's surprised by how many people who maybe they've worked for a long time or you know, they're maybe an old professor or something. They're interested in agriculture, they don't have time. Hey, can I manage your farm? Can I try this? I've been looking at this. And so starting as small as possible, because I think typically people read about success stories and they're like, wow, they're so big. I need to start so big. But if you can just move backwards from and say, okay, what's the minimum thing I we, what we call is the riskiest assumption to test. What's the thing that I have to prove to show that like my hypothesis about this business is going to work? Maybe if I want to sell mushrooms in Nairobi and I say, okay, like if I, I can sell mushrooms at 20 shillings and you find out that, hey, I actually can sell them at, at 19 or 25 and you, you tell somebody in a month, I'm trying to sell 10 mushrooms. I would also always underpromise, and you go back to them and say, hey, I sold 15 mushrooms. They're like, wow, this person beat their goal. I want to back them. Here's like some cap. So we were able to get capital from, fortunately, from people who knew us. And also, this is maybe jumping to the next, the next point. So initially, we were starting small. We were fortunately got into Accelerator, very good global one. So we got some access to venture capital. But even over time, through that process, we continue to share our story with people. People continue to follow our journey. And once they follow your journey and you say, hey, we're really struggling, we need X, Y, Z, people can come through and actually support you because they've been able to see how much progress you make. If you only reach out to people when you need money, you, I don't know if you guys have heard this quote it's like ask for money get advice ask for advice get money and so even sharing a journey ask people for advice to be surprised hey can i get involved so yeah i think starting small is very important the second one yeah you've probably applied to like yeah. seven, 70 75 different competitions since we've been running relief definitely applying for competitions whether you win or not it actually forces you to focus your thinking and it can actually help you build a more robust business and so yeah we applied 75 we probably have won maybe five but we probably won four in the last 12 months. So can you see after five years applying, 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 you know, finally getting some good results and traction and making a big difference. But a lot of those competitions helped us refocus or change our strategy actually over time. And you also, a lot of the time, meet very interesting mentors and get exposed to different types of ideas. So I would really encourage people to apply. I mean, Nourishing Africa, I was going to say you, what we did was set up, you can go on Google, you can set up like email alerts anytime there's agricultural competition and we used to get email updates. But Nourishing 
think Africa actually does that for you already. So if you just read the newsletter, there's so many opportunities in there. So I would definitely encourage that. And then the partnership one, I think is huge. Think about your core competency in whatever business or venture you want to go into. And then think about the competency you don't have. For example, in Nigeria, you need a NAFDAC number if you want to make consumer goods. To get a NAFDAC number, you need like specific type of facility that you need to be operating in. But if you're very small and starting out, typically can't afford that processing facility. But if you find one that already exists and you say, hey, can I just rent one little part of your store and you put my machine? Great. You know, you don't have to spend all that money. You partner with someone, you give them a little bit of brand. I actually think that's a good business idea that people can set up hubs for people to kind of that processing. Uh, it makes it easier for people to start consumer businesses. But I think partnership is very key. A way you can find partners is going trade shows. Again, there's probably opportunities in Africa. Applying for competitions, conferences. There's usually speakers at different events. And then just don't be afraid to reach out on LinkedIn, send an email. You never know your next, like either co-founder or big partners is speaking at whatever next event. So I'd really encourage that. And then of course, on the government side, there's a lot of more the government can do. And there are a couple programs, offshore, got the other C, but something scheme, run RFS, like real sector support fund. They are pretty big facilities. So you do need to be making some progress, but those are some good programs. I do think they're beginning to come around uh, and set up a business. You can give away, you can look at equity if you want to think about venture capital. You can look at debt from people like very low digit if they know you, um, but we've, a lot of the time in the difficult period for the business, we've been able to have people who've known us for a long time and trust us to come to our aid. And once you use that, the people who know you to prove the business works, you can then go outside to institutional investors. Yes, thank you for buttressing Evelyn's point, especially with your personal um, story of how Relief had gone through these stages too over time. And I'm very, very intrigued about the fact that Relief has applied for over about them to five competitions and have won about five because, you know, when you hear relief, you hear of all the big things you're doing, all the big competitions you win. I mean, nobody will know that you've applied for that many competitions. And also, you've also added a couple of other ways to get capital um, through venture capital, debt, loans. And there's something you can tamarind on us asking people you know for help or asking them for showing them your work and then in turn getting money from them to build your business, which you can pay back over time or you can give them in equity. Thank you so much, Uzoma, for your insight. Now, since we are on the topic and the area of challenges, what other major disincentives and barriers have you faced as young people starting up and building your businesses in the African agribusiness sector? And honestly, how have you navigated through these challenges? Uzoma, let's start with you. Yeah, as a young person, it can be a challenge initially, especially, you know, we sell to factories. So who's this small boy? You know, you want to try and get purchase order from them. But there's certainly this the stigma and some of the older players, they, they're seri a serious person. Oftentimes, those factories always say, oh, you know, you need an appointment to meet with Andy. Usually we just, we just say, hey, look, I'm trying to get started in the business. Love to just get some advice and frame it more as they don't see it as a threat. And because they don't see it as a threat, a lot of the times they'll share a lot of things that they probably won't share with someone else who's maybe older, more established. And so we've been able to get a lot of, instead of trying to act like, oh yeah, I'm so old, I'm so serious, saying, hey, look, you've, you've done so much in the business. Now, what can I learn from you? And then people just kind of share everything with you and you can use some of those insights to make a lot more progress. And so that, that was, that's one, and more so the stakeholder and the people side of things. Huge, huge challenge, depending on what part of the value chain you're in, but for us, like logistics, so moving 
moving crop, things like that. Breakdowns on the road, dealing with truck drivers, dealing with maintenance. A hybrid approach where you internalize some of your logistics infrastructure, but you also just find good partners over time. And so just being open to your first partner, probably not going to be your last partner. So you're going to have to have a framework and a way to hold people accountable. A lot of the time for us, we'd always start trying to do a partnership with someone, start very small, see if they can just arrive on time, how they communicate. Once you see red flags, we'll, one of my co-founders has a saying that if, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's not a flipping mongoose. So he's just saying that you know the signs when people are unreliable and so you need to make sure you shine your eye essentially. So logistics been a big challenge for us, being able to, to trust like external parties and also understanding when to internalize it. Probably the third challenge I would say is, uh, well, we like to call it the like the Nigeria factor, but just me thinking that rain, suddenly when it rains, people don't want to come to work, things like that. And so one thing we always try to do is again, like under promise over deliver, like with our customers. We also try to think before when we set goals, what can stop this from happening? And we try to mitigate kind of the factors that, that come up. So I think a stakeholder management is a challenge as a young person, frame it as I want to learn. I'm not a threat. Give, give people better people's egos and they can share a lot with you and become your partners. On the logistics front, figure out if you are running that type of business, figure out if you need to internalize your logistics or have some vehicles of your own, or if you're going to partner with someone, start very small and and pay attention to how people communicate and how timely people are in even other parts of their lives if you want to partner with them. And then just understand things are going to take longer than you expect them to. So while you want to be optimistic, you got to be very realistic. And so in any type of strategic thinking, when you're thinking about your business, just think about the factors that can come up and go wrong and just mitigate against them. I know that third one isn't too specific, but you'll just be shocked at the types of things that can happen. Dealing with communities also, so I think a big challenge too, because there's, there's people in the community that are doing the right thing and there are people who want to rent seek and so maybe my advice when people want to rent seek meaning that they want you to give them something for nothing is that you need to take those people in communities you're working in who are part of your business who are adding value and make them your allies and have them stand up for you against those people who just want to extract without any value addition thank you Thank you so much, Uzoma, for this amazing insight you've given us. So, Evelyn, over to you. What peculiar challenges have you faced? So, the first challenges that we face across our monthly mindset and just dealing with other people who, who can believe that this is who you are now. And for me, it was my parents. I really had a hard time just trying to win them over because they, they felt that investment in, in terms of education and, and even comparing notes. Because that's what our parents' generation do. They want to go and speak in public in a wedding and say, oh, my daughter is this and that, and my daughter is this and that. And they're not even looking at, are you happy? And are you are you helping the environment? Are you helping your community? You can still have your good nails. You can still have your weave and expensive wigs like I do. You can still look fashionable, but you're doing something that really feeds your soul. And for me, I think that attitude has been the biggest challenge. And also, I take it not as an obstacle, I take it as a challenge, like I am going to win you over and you are going to become a producer of food. And I think that's one of the noblest jobs I can have in this art. And I think God would agree with that. For us, our second challenge is because we try as much as we can conserve the environment. Because remember, 
the farmer is the closest person who can do the most damage to the farm. They can cut the certification, they can overgraze, they can clear the land, cut down trees for farming and that kind of thing. And, and so we need them to see that it's a double-edged sword. As much as you want to make money, but, but be also aware, at least have the awareness that you're not killing people with pesticides in the process. And for them to get that button click, it takes a while, but eventually it gets there. And for you, it's just to be patient and to remind them that becoming a farmer, you have so much power in terms of control, grow randomly, and they can become a headache to farmers. And so my third one would be mechanization. As you try to bring technology into farming, we have to remember that we have to look for ways that is not backbreaking in our process. If we are to encourage young people into this industry, we need to look for solutions. Get, build gates. I like employing lazy people because they will always find shortcuts on how to get the task done. And in the process, they are cutting my furniture, but they won't spend as much. So if you can find a clever young person who will think, oh, instead of me digging the whole day in Kotan, let me look for an equipment that can do that on my behalf. And, and, and so we have to really think about innovation, technology, mechanization. And we're not even thinking about a tractor that will cost so many dollars. We're just thinking about simple things that will, will, will limit the amount of labor costs that you're using in your farm. And it will reduce your cost of production. Because as you have noticed, in COVID, the people who have been most affected by COVID are the people who their cost of production is usually very high. Airlines and industries and, and those kinds of people who thought as long as you're making enough profit, it doesn't matter how much we spend in terms of input. And with agriculture, for me, I feel like it's very conscious to try and minimize, try and look away, uh, try and mitigate that. This are the beginning of it all and trying to how can we continue reducing that margin. Thank you so much, Evelyn, for the very, very insightful things you've given to us right now now giving us the different um, challenges you face especially with changing the mindsets of people about your profession because I mean what you have now is a full-on profession and also mechanization and of course the big issue that almost everyone every farmer is facing of climate change and how to properly take care of your land thank you so much even for that so moving on to the next question really we have seen that there's a huge role digital media and technology plays in both your businesses Uzama through relief and Evelyn through your farm on fire you both use quite a lot of technology in your businesses so given your experiences what are some examples of the gaps that digital media and technology can help to breed in african um, agriculture and how can these gaps be converted to opportunities that young people can leverage okay yeah i mean i think evelyn does very well i think at least on the digital media side i think narrative building is certainly something we just need to do more of i love the lazy person comment it's so true you get creative that's what we always tell people People. And once you put co constraints on people, hey, you have to produce this many tons in this time period. That's when people become creative because when you look at the state of things now in terms of uh, farming, the one thing a lot of smaller farmers do have a lot of is time. But if you can put constraints on time, then people, oh, I need to do this a different way. So I think I think one thing I'll just echo in this question so it isn't too long is that we 
and maybe this comes into digital media, we need to think about what solutions uh, make sense for where we are in our existing environment. So not always focused on, like you said, thousands of dollars, I need to import this, import that, but there's very talented fabricators that are making all these different types of things and just engaging them. We've had really good experiences saying, hey, we need actually to outsource this this spindle there. And these are the, the design constraints, the spindle. Oh, I know this guy who makes Pramukuman on the side of the road. Let's go talk with him. And you'll just be amazed at the level of expertise and it's not maybe the textbook, you know, I studied mechanical engineering, but these people understand uh, how to make interesting mecha mechanized tools. Um, and so I think that gap in terms of how we value people's expertise and talent, that's an area we can bridge where you're bringing maybe the traditional way with design thinking and merging them together to create solutions, at least at that like hardware technology. I think on the digital side, I always tell people if I could like wave a wand on the infrastructure side, I would say like rural roads would be great. Another thing is just better cell coverage. So a lot of access issues, even if you're not even using a smartphone, you're just using a feature phone, network coverage is actually a big issue. And you could do a lot of interesting things if people do have network coverage. GSMA have done some interesting things on rainfall data and communicating information. Farmers, even us, farmers can check the price at any time if they dial a short code um, so that people can't, you know, spam them. So um, I think uh, there's a lot of opportunities for people to think about um, Oh, in this community, they're still doing things like this and they don't have these types of resources. Let me bring them in. And I think the generalized problems, uh, a lot of it is you have to pick where in the value chain. So maybe just give a framework, it's either in production, uh, in pre-processing, which is where we sit between the farm and the factory. Well, you could, you could say inputs, production, pre-processing, the actual logistics, storage, uh, and then actual processing, uh, then uh, packing, and then maybe distribution. Uh, and so people would have to just be thoughtful about, I would always pick one sector to begin in and understand, and then you can expand later. And then look at how in those different sectors, you can bring in digital media or soft or hardware to, to make things more efficient. Thank you, Uzoma, for those key points you've shared with us now. Evelyn, over to you. Um, Uzoma had mentioned something that he's providing smartphones for his producers and I thought that is whoa because smartphones, I mean you can do anything. This conversation started out when oh, the biggest challenge with African markets or African farmers, especially specifically Kenyan farmers, is access to markets. Yet you go and you find the people who want to eat the food have a disconnect and, and they're saying, where do I find potatoes? And you are like, there's a farmer with rotten potatoes and, and there's that disconnect. And, and that's what I think Azuma does in terms of logistics and linking these two people together. And that's what technology can actually do is that you don't, as a farmer, you don't have to do much. You just have to get internet access, be able to link up with farmers. There are a few apps that I know in Kenya that have been doing that and have been linking buyers and sellers to each other just using an app. And even uh, some of the skills that we offer at Farm Orifa is just actually to go down to that specific farmer and show them how to do that. So yes, they have a smartphone, but do they know what they can do with it? You take a picture, you raise the price, you raise the location and you leave your contact. Something as simple as that can go a long way. Technology, I feel like we haven't even cracked the surface and it's one of the ways that you can even do mobile mobile farming, which people say it doesn't work because huge chunks of land are in the rural areas, yet we are trapped in the city trying to be progressive. 
for me, technology has helped me in terms of just realizing how I can also help other farmers to small things like looking for a worker, a reliable worker. Most of the people in the African setting, we ask our from the village to find us a worker. And that worker comes and in the first 10 days, 10 chickens have died. So, so but if you have a reliable person and experienced person, a person who will actually add value to your project. Thank you, Uzama and Evelyn. Thank you so much for pointing out these opportunities that young people can leverage through technology. And it was particularly interesting because both of you made it very relatable through your personal and professional experiences. And now, Uzoma, now this is for you. It's common knowledge that many African youth shy away from anything related to agriculture. And this is based on the popular belief that the sector is for the old, rural, and poor people. Now, what words do you have to share with this category of youth? Yeah, many words. I think what I'll say is, uh, without talking about like how fulfilling it is, the direct impact, if you just look at it from a money and numbers standpoint, this is the only market globally. Fortunately for us, people are always going to need to eat. That is not changing. And then you look at the market where you have most people like global growth. And then you look at a market where apparently the market stakeholders are older, more rural areas, less capitalized. If you have sense, you, that means you have a growing market, a market where that demand is assured and a market where the participants may not be as competitive as you. That just seems like an amazing opportunity to me from just a pure numbers standpoint. So, you know, if you get sense, you know what to do. You know, if you, a word, a word is enough for the wise. So I like to say, but so I just think we need to break down. You know, Evelyn made that point that you know when you're younger, you're the one you have to go. We work on the farm. You get your cutlass. Uh, you're there in the morning. Ah, uh, you know you don't want to do that anymore. Why did I go to school? You know, so I don't have to be on the farm. But I think we should think about agriculture. Like I broke it down. There's all these different parts of the value chain and finding your niche and where you can create a lot of value. Um, you can capture a lot of the value you create and you can build a very fulfilling and impactful life. I was supposed to go work for Microsoft after I graduated from college, big six-figure offer, same with all my co-founders, one was Facebook, one was Bain. Uh, and we all thought that this was going to be a more exciting, meaningful, impactful, and lucrative opportunity for us. So that's what I say to young people when they, they make misjudgments about agriculture. Thank you so much for clearing that up. So Evelyn, over to you, what key roles must various stakeholders play to ensure increased youth engagement and transforming the Africa's food system? There are many things that need to come into this space for us to be able to address. As Azuma said, the, the youth are, you know, where we are at, especially Africa, we are going to the food hub of the world. Um, Americans, we've seen, they are struggling just to even produce something as simple as beef. And they are realizing we are destroying and creating desertification just for the price of producing something as small as beef. And they are going into all these extreme solutions of veganism and all that. And I'm not again it's that I mean to all possible solutions but we we can find an easier way of doing things and especially in Africa where we have a lot of untapped resources and that includes the youth we really need a lot of people coming in together so that I believe Africa is ready to become the next superpower and that's just because of having a, a youthful generation Amen. yes 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 so we need a lot going into this the first one of course is what Ozuma is doing infrastructure 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 and then now number two what I'm doing soft infrastructure 
fact check. Training, training, training. Inspiring people, getting as many people to try and, and see how they can change production. And then number three, we need the private sector in terms of value addition. We need to find 50,000 ways of value adding a potato. <laughs> we just don't want to think about cream. We need to think about powdered, uh, powdered potatoes or something and uh, potato syrup. We need to think about private sector needs to come in and say that these are the 50,000 ways that we can add something to be able to preserve the shelf life, to be able to export to the rest of the world because the rest of the world is looking for organic food and Africa we are really good at that. Private sector, government, of course, in terms of infrastructure, there they can do well. And then also parents. Parents allow your children to go into farming. The other people that we are encouraging are schools. In Kenya, the president just launched a primary school program that is called for KKK, which is in Swahili, but if I translate, it means that young people need to, to see the effort of their hands. A lot of, in the corporate world especially, you are in the cog of the wheel. You really don't what you are really doing. You're just imagining that the vision is achieved and, and somehow you had a path to play in that. And that's all okay, but we find that you find more fulfillment if you can touch what is the result of your hard work. Thank you so much, Isin, for the um, points you've given us. I mean, you've spoken about infrastructure, you've spoken about inspiring people to impact, you've spoken about um, private sector in terms of value addition, the government, and of course, you emphasize the need of um, parents and schools to expose their kids, I mean, the uh, next generation of agriculture entrepreneurs to farming to agriculture and so that they can learn and start um, developing interest in agriculture from a really young age thank you so much Evelyn now to our final question for this podcast and a really interesting question given your success in building your startups despite the many challenges are there hacks or tips that you have learned over time that you can share with other African youth who may be looking to build profitable agribusinesses on the continent. So Uzoma, you go first and then Evelyn can go. Thank you. So I think I'll just reiterate some of the things I've said and then share some others. A key one is to simulate the market you want to be working in. So, you know, you can read studies and there'll be consultants that give you business plans, but as much as possible, if you can, like we do, like trade, actually go and see how the, the value chain works, you know, we typically, you know, pick one crop or one region or one part of the value chain. Just again, you want to start small and then you can think about ways to expand just so you can understand the dynamics at play and you don't build the business on like wrong assumptions. I think is a huge one. I also think this plays into the point around profitability. If you actually have to be buying and selling, you get to understand the unit economics. People ask us, oh, you know, why did you start in Palm? Well, we said one, we picked, we picked the value chain where there was steady and very ready demand. We picked the value chain where the unit economics were healthy enough that even with some of the uncertainty in the market, you have enough buffer on your gross margin side. And then we picked a, a value chain where technology could give us a competitive advantage or efficiency. So you can use a similar framework to pick what part of agriculture you want to get interested in. And I think being rigorous about that process is, is very important because the numbers have to make sense. Another one we figured out, and this is more general if you're building any type of organization, but you don't have to be 
the superhero or the not all forever. Honestly, we learned almost everything on the job, right? Nobody studied agronomics or learned everything by doing but i also think in some ways we moved a bit slowly because we wanted to try and learn everything it's interesting that evelyn touched on this but maybe in a different factor and she's touched on it twice you know entrepreneurship can be lonely and it does take a toll on your mental health so i think a big lesson i got is um, don't get too high on the highs and don't get too low on the lows do what's necessary to keep you in a optimistic but grounded mental states whether that's eating healthy, exercising, playing sports, reading, watching your favorite show, talking with your family, making time for friends, because it is a, it's a long journey. It's not just a journey of instant gratification, but if it's something, you know, you can hear the passion when both of us talk about what we're doing, that is worth it in the end. And so making sure that you have some type of support structures along the way, because yeah, lots of ups and downs that, you know, there was one, some story someone wrote, there was like startups that will fail in, in 2019. And we were one of those startups. And then someone else wrote an article like, where's relief? Are they still alive? And you know how hard it is to build a business. Now you're trying to give negative energy. I would encourage people to, you know, have those support systems around you and know it's okay that no matter what article you see about this company or that company, that they're going through a lot of struggles and you'll never be alone. And so having maybe a small group of other entrepreneurs you can talk to and say, oh, you know, I'm struggling with this. You'd be surprised. Everybody's gone through a lot of failures. Everybody's at some point probably run out of money, had to do X, Y, Z to keep it going. Thank you so much, Zoma. Evelyn? Yes, Azuma actually took the words right off my mouth, word for word. I think uh, that would have been specific to my point as well. It is not easy. Be patient with yourself. Be patient. Also know, know that this is a long game. Um, when you read a newspaper article, Evelyn makes half a million um, monthly from mushrooms. It, and you think, I'm going to quit my job and every month I expect to have half a million. It is not like that. It is how long has Evelyn been planting mushrooms? What, how long has she taken to just acquire the knowledge of doing it right? And how much investment has gone into that? Because people think, I just need capital and I'll just duplicate what she's doing. It, it's not that simple. And I know for young people, they want money and they want money now, now, now. And farming is also amazing in that way that you can plant 100 acres of maize and, and get your million. I'm obviously talking in Kenyan feelings, but you, you kind of get my point. Farm, farming can be good, but also it has its flaws and, and you need to have enough faith in yourself that it, it doesn't damage you in the process. And when someone mentioned to me, any business takes three to five years for you to have legs of its own, all the angles needed, and also look for mentors, people who can help you in the journey, people who can tell you, ah, you're crying about this ah you should know how much i've lost in farming and then you realize oh i'm not alone because everyone thinks they're struggling with their thing alone and you think oh i'm being cheated on i'm the worst person in the world that someone sort of cheating on me and then once you start sharing your story you find out oh this is a human thing and so for me it's just find a community find mentors find people who are doing what you're doing learn from them youtube university i'm a believer in research, 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 and, and just being excited and being out there doing what you love, even though it's, it's not as profitable. Yeah, so let me stop at that. 
Thank you so much, Evelyn and Uzo. This was really an awesome podcast. Thank you for the amazing insights. Thank you for generally throughout the podcast, you both have uh, given really solid points and have been great source of inspiration to me. And I'm sure you've also been great source of inspiration to our listeners out there. So thank you so much once again, Evelyn and Uzo for being on this podcast. So there you have it, our listeners. I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast session as much as I did. And I trust that listening to Evelyn and Uzo must share their stories have inspired a lot more youth into the agricultural sector. Thank you. And until the next podcast episode, bye-bye.